Housed within the Environmental Conservation Lab on Treaty 1 territory, you're listening to the Akiwan Podcast. This is episode 4, titled Nibbe, where we speak with three women on their connections to water, women as water protectors, and more. Hello and welcome to the Akiwan podcast. My name is Taylor. My spirit name is Brown Buffalo and I am of the Fish Clan. This this episode means a lot to me because it's all about water. It's called Nibe, which is an Ojibwe word that means water, of course. And as somebody who is from the Fish Clan, I have a very deep connection to water, but also through my work um, as I work with First Nations and other Indigenous communities to help protect our waters and to teach youth about the significance of water, why it's so important to us, and our just like their own personal connection to water as well. So we've all heard the phrase, water is life, or Nebe Bemadazawin, which of course is Anishinaabe Mowin again. And for each indigenous group of people across Turtle Island, water is sacred. Water, it has a spirit, it carries teachings, and it's what keeps Mother Earth's heart beating. For water is the blood that runs through her veins and through ours, of course, as she is all of our mothers. Now for indigenous people, that connection goes even deeper. We are created in the water. It is where our lives all begin, which of course is in our mother's womb. And as Indigenous women, we share a sacred connection to the water, to the spirit of water. Through our role as childbearers, and for that we have a particular responsibility to protect and nurture the water. Now I, personally, um, I don't have any kids, um, but... It seems that, that that connection to protect and nurture the water is just embedded just embedded inside of me. It's just something that I've always felt the need to protect and to work towards. And I don't know, I've always just loved the water. Ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated by it. I remember playing by the rapids in Elphinstone, Manitoba, which is connected to Kisikun in First Nation and Treaty 2 territory. Uh, with my cousins, um, my parents used to call me a fish out of water because I just loved it. I had to be near it all the time. So, I mean, deep down inside, we all know that we have um, we have those connections. And perhaps deep down inside of me, I felt that I always needed to be with the water. So for Anishinaabe people, as I said, water is very sacred and it is to be respected as a relative, our ancestors, their stories are held within the water. Though the water, it carries those memories and those teaching, teachings. That's why, that's why we give it thanks. Even when the rain comes, you thank the rain and you can feel those memories. To take it into like a scientific approach, which I know some people have it, like they like to do that. When I say that the water carries memories and teachings, it carries our ancestors' stories, you can think of it as like the hydrologic cycle, right? Water 
comes in the oceans and the lakes through evaporation. It goes back up into the clouds and comes back as rain. So imagine the water carries your grandparents, your ancestors, memories and their stories and their teachings. And then they go back up into the sky, right? And you hear those thunderbirds calling sometimes. And then the rain comes and you feel those stories just shed like they just they just embrace you they they comfort you when you feel the rain on your face or whatever it may be and then it goes back into the ground it goes back into the waters it goes back into the oceans goes back into our lakes and our rivers and our creeks and again and then that water cycle continues on and on again so the ancestors our grandparents our grandmothers our grandfathers all of those memories are just in console constant circular motion they're always there with you so as you learn more about the water and you realize you, you you start to realize these things that like what i'm talking about now that you're gonna have this very deep connection to the water and that you'll you'll come to realize that the water is not about use it's not about being able to shower all the time or like abusing what the water is for people and it does not have a monetary value which is unfortunate that one day maybe it maybe that's where it's gonna where it's gonna go but as you continue to connect yourself to the water you're, you're gonna see the significant impact that it has on your life such as myself i never really thought about it um I guess, well, I guess everyone's kind of, hmm, what's the word I can say? Kind of naive in their younger years, which I was. So, you know, you take everything for granted. But now as my journey continues and I'm learning so much from grandmothers, from uh, water carriers and drone carriers and through ceremonies and things like that, I'm starting to really realize and learn like the significance of water and why it is sacred and why we should protect and nurture it and respect it and maybe even fear it for water takes life and it gives life right so i'd like to switch it up a little bit um over the last little while since the last podcast i've been speaking with some women um about the water and their connections to water so i'd like to share some of those interviews because their perspectives on water is just amazing. Um, I spoke recently. Um, I'd like to share an interview that I did with you with a very lovely and knowledgeable woman who I've gone to ceremonies and gatherings with. Um, her name is Donis, Donis Kennedy. And as we spoke, uh, we shared stories about water, how she connects to water and women's roles towards the water and what others can do to build and strengthen their relationship with Nebe. So I'd like to share that interview with you. And I, her words and the way that she speaks about it is so passionate that like she draws you in. She's, she's very amazing. So please listen carefully to like the words that she says, cause she's, yeah, she's very knowledgeable. So, <laughs> um, I can praise her all day. So I'd like to play some of that interview for you right now. My name is Donis Kennedy. I'm from Rosa River, Anishinaabe First Nation, and I'm Ojibwe. And 
I am Medewin, and I guess learning about who I am as an Anishinaabe Kwe and learning about my roles, one of which is with the water, was very important to me. It's something that I really needed and for my life and to understand who I am and my connection to my ancestors and my descendants. And it's something I really had to seek. It's something I had to look for. Even though I had um, a connection with my mother and my grandmother um, and my family to my community in Roseau River, it wasn't in my day-to-day -day education outside of the reserve. Even in my community, it's something we're still working on putting together as a people, everything that was given to us. So um, I guess one of the ways that is I learn about water and I learn about who I am is through ceremony. For me, um, I, I do ceremony with my family and they are Medewin. So we went to the Three Fires Medewin Lodge and that was part of a movement, a greater movement to uh, revive Medewin. And I also go to ceremonies in my community and um, anywhere where I'm living. So I learn a lot from mentoring with the women there, with my aunties, with grandmothers. And our grandmothers are really active. <laughs> They're really, really active. And for me, that's how I learned about who I was and about the water, was following in the footsteps of my grandmothers, just as a helper, like carrying bags, <laughs> opening things up, like <laughs> listening, um, helping get things ready. Uh, I don't know. They taught me the things that I would need to know to help them. And one of the grandmothers is uh, the late Josephine Mandaman, who started the Mother Earth Water Walks. So that's the walk um, you had talked to me about. And that was a group of women who, grandmothers of the Medewin Lodge, who were asked by Barueda and Benesi, Eddie Benton Benet, um, Grand Chief of the Three Fires Medewin, um, asked, He's brought forward a prophecy that in 30 years, an ounce of water will be worth more than an ounce of gold if we continue with our negligence. And that's what Josephine Mandaman heard, that word, if. And she said, how can I discontinue my negligence? And she talked with a lot of women. And one of the answers that came to them was they wanted to raise the consciousness of the people about the sacredness of water. And what they did was they started to walk um, around the Great Lakes. And they walked for the water, they walked with the water. It was um, a prayer, a ceremony, and it was in their minds to pray for the health of the water um, and also to pray for the Anishinaabe women to pick up their bundles again, to understand their role with the water and how sacred that the water is and how sacred we are. So I had a really small part of one walk. I organized the Western um, walk in 2011. So just the Western direction coming and 
you know, I contacted the communities, I found support, I found walkers, and um, I just connected everybody. That was my role. And, but I learned about, you know, how to make a movement. Um, Josephine Mandaman inspired a lot of women um, to stand up and to reclaim who they are and to reclaim their role and their voice in decision-making about life because water is connected to life. Do you think your, your connection to the water has changed over the years at all? Yeah, I mean, when I grew up, it was, I mean, I was raised in a public school in Manitoba and my understanding of water, I mean, I spent like eight hours a day in school. <laughs> So a lot of my viewpoints were formed by public school. You know, water was a thing. It was a commodity, a resource. Um, that's what I learned in my books, is just to think about plants and animals as resources. And when I would spend time with my family, berry picking or, you know, um, on their reserve gardening, um, Anytime that I would be at and at ceremonies, <laughs> I would, uh, that view was challenged. <laughs> the view that I was kind of like used to was challenged uh, by my grandmother. And so even just things like um, we went for a walk and I was going past a bush and I was pulling leaves off the bush. <laughs> and I had this big handful of leaves. I don't know, it was lilac bush and it smelled nice. And I wasn't thinking I was daydreaming. And in my worldview, it didn't matter, you know. Um, but my grandmother, she stopped me. And she said, Donis, what is that? And she <laughs> was asking me about those leaves. And I just had this big head full of leaves. And she looked, she didn't look mad, but I, I knew I was, did something. <laughs> and so I, I remember feeling like, oh <laughs> like, why do i have these like i didn't even know what to say for myself and she said you know that's alive and she brought me back to that bush <laughs> and she said this is alive and you know they have a purpose and she talked a little bit about you know the way that they breathe oxygen and you know the way that um they help us to breathe and we help them to breathe in our relationship and just, you know, that the birds visit them and, <laughs> you know, um, she, so I got a sense. She got me to actually shake that uh, plant's hand <laughs> or their leaves and say sorry. And I, shake, I shook that, that tweak and I never did that again. For somebody who wants to, um, say, reconnect or strengthen their connection with water, especially um, uh, women, how how would you what, what 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 could you say or or some ways to guide them to to do that yeah there's a lot that a lot of um our communities are separated from who we are as anishinaabe through education residential school um relocation uh 60 scoop all of these processes that um disconnect us so i think Anishinaabe have a lot to teach us about life, about good life, about good relationships with each other and with 
um, other beings in creation. And I think it's worthwhile to make those connections. For, for me, um, in Winnipeg, there's a lot of community organizations that are active in our communities. There's a lot of places to learn. I mean, I work at the Cultural Center on Sutherland, the Manitoba Indigenous Cultural Education Center. And so we have, um, we respond to requests for programming. Um, there's series. I know that there's uh, Casey Adams just did a water series, which she's interviewed at. And um, there's also a gathering that happens um, most years. That's uh, the water gathering up at uh, Bannock Point, I think, every year. But really, I think finding your way to connecting with our community, with our women, that's a long-term thing. Um, but there's lots of room and space in the circle. You know, whether it's at Powell or whether it's at Medellin ceremonies, whether it's at Sundance, or full moon. Um, there's a lot of work for women to mentor women, um, but also just to become helpers, to find women that inspire you. Now, as you can see, um, we all have a connection to water. Now you can feel its strength, its love, it's spirit, when you're near it, it makes you happy, it makes you scared, it teaches you things about your life, it makes you feel things without even realizing you're feeling them. As Indigenous people, we've had this connection to water since time and memoriam, so um, we'll get back. We'll hear again from Donis before the end of the show, but as I mentioned at the beginning, um, I spoke with three different women, so... Uh, the next person that I'd like to introduce you to, her name is Kimbaya Carrier. She is of Mayan and Métis descent. And what she speaks about is um, like how in these times, not just in Canada, but also in Mesoamerica, Indigenous people are making their voices heard. We're all fighting for the water. We all have a connection to water. And we are making waves in the environmental sector, even though... Um, I guess governments are trying to build and expand and industrialize our waters. So here's a couple things that Kimbaya had to say. But there's things called cenotes, uh, which are underground water caves, a very clean, pristine water. So that's always been a very, very big part of um, Mayan history, Mayan culture. Uh, that was what their source of water was. And it still is in a lot of communities. Uh, right now, they're mostly used uh, for tourism. <laughs> so if if you ever go, if you ever go to the cenotes, they're very, very beautiful. Um, the only thing you need to keep in mind as a tourist is I would personally try to go to some that are led and run by Indigenous members and that are not as frequently visited as others. Because the more people that go, the more we destroy that specific ecosystem and they're very, very fragile ecosystems. So it's not only for us as tourists, but also like the government. Right now they're trying to build a train over the cenotes, which is not a great idea because they're very, very unstable. Like the ground in Mexico where the cenotes are, uh, they're basically like, the water erodes part of the land 
and so the bottom isn't very stable and they're trying to build a train there <laughs> going through a couple cenotes so that's right now a big big thing in Cancun uh, the Yucatan area it's a very big debate because a lot of people want like it's it's part of their culture even as Mexicans living in that area it's a very big part of who they are their culture what their what their pride comes from cenotes it's a beautiful beautiful ecosystem to look at and uh, enjoy so they're really trying to find ways and alternatives <laughs> to not necessarily go by or through a cenote um, unfortunately unlike Canada but Canada also has problems with this but as indigenous people there's isn't as much control or they don't really have a voice when it comes to uh, resource development infrastructure development um, if you ever do go to Mexico City, I suggest you go to an area, it's called Xochimilco, uh, which right now what it is, is a tourist attraction. <laughs> but it's basically a huge interconnected area of canals with um, basically, uh, I don't really know if there's an English word for it, but basically they're kind of like little floating islands everywhere. And these floating islands were actually used uh, pre-Hispanic times for agriculture. Because what the Aztecs did is um, instead of draining water, they actually built islands on top of water. Uh, that way they would also build ditches where they would grab uh, soil from the river and from the lakes. And they would take that soil to on top of their floating cane uh, structures and that's uh, how they actually had really great thriving agriculture uh, in Mexico as the Aztecs. Finally, I'd like to say thank you to Kimbaya as well. Um, it's not only important for us as women to, to respect and nurture the water, it's also important to get the youth involved in, in water and, their, and building their relationship with the water, encouraging them to fight for what's right, to learn about the culture, to learn about our traditions, to learn about our teachings, because some may not know, right? Some may be um, raised in in urban settings where they're not, um, where they don't see, or they don't learn those teachings. They're not involved in that type of community. So once again, this is um, the last woman that I, I spoke with for this episode. Her name is Jade. Um, she's um, an Indigenous youth from Nelson House. She has relations up, relationships up there. And she and I spoke about how to get the youth more involved in advocacy for the water and in water protection. I think that for one thing, the main thing for like the older generation that they could do is just educate more like I know in schools a lot of the times people don't learn about that stuff like personally I did but I went to a predominantly indigenous school so I think that that's why like throughout high school I was educated on these things like Standing Rock like a lot of people might have just heard about those issues through the media but they're not actually taught it in schools so I feel like for one, it's just like, they're not getting that kind of information at a younger age. So they don't really know 
try to join like certain alliances and stuff like I know a lot of people they have like groups and stuff like water protectors I think that those are important and that I should be trying to get into a part of that because as a woman that's my role especially so as you can see there's so much that we can do um, in schools for the youth to educate them more because perhaps we don't we don't speak about it enough. We don't speak loudly enough about it. To, and we need to really encourage the youth to get involved. Bring them to rallies. Bring them to gatherings. Bring them to ceremonies. Just in, just, just, just embrace their 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 want and their need to learn. Because I think that's very important. They're the next generation. They're the next protectors. So we should really get involved. Before the end of our episode Nebe here on the Akiwan podcast. One very important question that I felt that I had to ask each of our three interviewees was what water meant to them. Because when you ask somebody that, and I've noticed that when I've asked people that they seem to get a little stumped. Everybody's connection with water is different and somewhat the same. We all understand the significance behind it. So what, think about what your connection is to water. How does water make you feel? So each one of our interviewees, um, Donis, Kimbaya, and Jade, when asked what water means to them, this is what they had to say. Water means that we're all connected. We're all sustained. We're all supported. We're all loved. And we're all a part of life. For me, water is love. It's interconnection. It's really, really a way for us to feel connected to our present, to our lives, to our family, to our heritage, to our culture. And so it, it, it really embodies love. Water just means I guess everything, because we need it, and I don't know. I think that water just doesn't get enough recognition. And for me, what water is to me, like we've all we all can agree, water is life. Sometimes, you know, when you're just so thirsty and you drink water, it's like the greatest thing in the world. It makes me happy. It makes me. Just listening to the sounds of it, moving with it, singing with it, singing water songs, paying respect to it, and then learning while I was making this episode, learning about how water carries our ancestors' stories really um, really resonated with me, really stuck with me. So now every time it rains and when I listen to water flowing or rapids, I'm going to be thinking that you know, our ancestors are in that water. They're teaching us through the sounds, through through the movement that they're showing us through through the water and the waterways so yeah so that is I think that is it <laughs> so I'd like you to think about your connection to the water and what it means to you and um yeah please feel free to connect with us on on Facebook um you can find our contact page on umfm.com as well as on um, the landlearning.ca website. Also, if you'd like to find out more information about some of the programs that we spoke about on the show, 
I will be posting those as well. We'll have another episode coming up for you in about two weeks or so. We're going to be doing bi-monthly episodes. So it's going to be great. You're going to want to tune in for each and every single one. You've reached the end of episode four of the AccuOne podcast called Nibbe. We'd like to thank UMFM 101.5 for hosting the show, as well as to all our guests, Donis Kimbaya and Jade, for speaking about their connections to the water and what water means to them. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you tune into the next episode. My name is Taylor Ojoa Mushka Dabajike Indijnikas. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to speaking with you again.